go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 13. That's the first scripture that I'm going to go to. Um, So while you're making your way there, um, I just want to talk about why we're here. Why are we here? Why have we showed up to something we call Discipleship Now Weekend? I have no idea where that name came from, actually. Uh, D-Now, it's just what I've heard for my whole life. Does anyone know where D-Now came from, that name? Well, it's Discipleship Now. Yeah, I, that's, that's true. I know that part. But I didn't know, like, why do we call it Discipleship Now? It sounds like a weird car commercial. Discipleship now, you know, I don't, I don't get it. I don't know where it came from, but we use it anyway. So what is discipleship and why are we devoting a weekend to that? Well, discipleship at the foundation of it, it's a process that concerns our heart's deepest desires. Discipleship is training, is about training your heart to love God more. And to align yourself with his story for you, his design for you. Discipleship's not simply about you learning more and more things about God. That's not our goal this weekend. It's not simply for you to have some um, easier ways to, to defeat sin, some nicer ways to read your Bible, to pray. It's not necessarily about spiritual disciplines or habits. Really what we're concerned about is your heart. And when God talks about being a disciple in his word. He's, he's concerned with our hearts loving him more and more. So that's my goal for this weekend. I want us to love God, one another, and others more than we did yesterday. That's why we're here. We are training our loves to be where they're, where, where they're supposed to be, towards God and towards one another. So I'm not after a show. I'm not after for you guys to have more and more knowledge, to simply have a good time, hang out with one another, although those things will happen. I want your heart to be changed, to love God more and more. So let that be your focus this weekend. Whatever reason you showed up to Dino, focus on how can your heart grow to love God, one another, and others more. Amid all the worship sessions, the band, the lights, the t-shirt, the fun games and free food. My goal is for you to treasure God more and more. With that being said, I do have a specific focus for this week. It's been a, uh, a topic that's been on my heart for a while, and one that really helped me in understanding the Bible, and it's faith, hope, and love. I think as we look to desire God more, and as we look to love God and treasure God more, understanding our Christian life with these three words, those three virtues— of faith, hope, and love will help us. If we understand that all of our Christian life is summarized in these three words, faith, hope, and love, we will have a better understanding and a better expectation of what it looks like to be a Christian. So the faith, hope, and love, those are called theological virtues. Sometimes they're called uh, uh, the divine sisters. I'm not going to refer to them as that because that's weird. Um, But they're the three virtues, and um, I want to tell you about them because I think um, what you'll notice is that Paul groups these three together often. In 1 Corinthians 13, you'll see at the bottom of the page, or the bottom of the chapter, he says, Now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these 
is love. So the basic observation that I want to make for us tonight is that these three are related. That faith, hope, and love, there is a relationship between these, these virtues of some sense. And then we'll, we'll show what each of them looks like and what that means for your Christian life. But listen, guys, this is going to be a bit abstract tonight. You guys know what abstract is? It's a little kind of like um, theorized, and we're not going to get really concrete. We're going to talk about each of these three things tomorrow, but tonight, this is my goal. I want us to see how all, all of our Christian life is summarized by faith, hope, and love, and what that means for us. So I'm going to challenge you a little bit this weekend, okay? I want to challenge you to stay focused, to think through this, to think through these things deeply. Um, We've built small group discussions around these sessions. And I simply want you, this is I challenged our uh, middle school boys in the past few years, write down two or three questions that you have and bring that to your discussion group. Like three questions. What did this mean? Or what did, uh, how does this apply to my life, right? Wrap around three questions. Don't take everything down from the screen, but get some questions and bring those to small groups, okay? So it is going to be a challenge, but I want you to stick with me. So other than 1 Corinthians 13, uh, we also see in 1 Thessalonians that Paul links these three together. Remembering our God and Father, your work of faith, the labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Right, you see that these three things are linked together. Also in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation, right? You see that these three are related again. You also see in Galatians 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So we also see, well, I was back, backwards, um, not only in Paul's uh, mentionings there, but he also does this in Romans 5, Ephesians 4, Colossians 1, um, and also the writer of Hebrews and 1 Peter talk about this, these three things together. So all I'm attempting to prove to you right now, don't get all caught up in all the references, all I'm attempting to prove to you is that these three things are related, and Paul and other New Testament writers talk about them to summarize our Christian life. If we want to understand our Christian life, it's really important that we understand faith, hope, and love. That's all I'm attempting to show you. And then let's go on and look at specifically these things. Let's start to define these words. Hope. Hope. What does the Bible mean by the word hope? One of the most important passages for this is is Romans 8. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. 
Read that again. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So the part I want to I hone in on is that part that talks about what hope is. Hope is something that's unseen. You do not see your hope. Right? Hope is something that's in the future. It's unseen. It's unseen. So we get this basic idea of hope as hope is unseen. Hope concerns the future. It's also kind of a, an eager thing. It's not about a bad thing that you're waiting for. Usually when you talk about hope, it's like a good thing. It's like a good thing that you're waiting for. Like, okay, so as a, as a teenager, um, I had a really bad habit of, of uh, being uh, e- too eager about Christmas morning. Like I couldn't sleep Christmas Eve. It got to the point where I was looking through my mom's emails to figure out which gifts I was getting. Like, this is not a joke. I would, I would wake up in the middle of the night, unwrap presents, and wrap them back so that I could figure out what I was getting. I just, I was so eager to know, what do I get? What is in the box? What do I got? And, um, you know, I, I, I was just way too eager. But I was so hopeful of Christmas morning. I, it's, it's, it's the same way that I would talk about um, the day I got married. Like, I could not, could not imagine what that day was going to be like. I was so eager for it. I was so ready to, to marry Stephanie and you know, there's this eager expectation. Stop. Stop. Don't do this. Don't do this. I was also really eager to uh, have our first child, but that was so that Stephanie would stop being pregnant because, listen, you can't complain about anything around a pregnant woman. If I would, if I would be like, man, my back kind of hurts. She's like, really? You, your back hurts? So I was really ready for her to have that baby because I could complain again in the house. But this is kind of what hope is. It's this look forward into the future that you cannot see, that you eagerly wait for. You wait for it. So this is how we'll define hope. Hope is the future reality for which we wait. It's the future reality for which you wait. You may hope, um, your hope may be to get into a specific college, graduate with a specific degree, go on to excel at a specific job, make a lot of money, win some rewards, um, retire early, enjoy a nice, comfortable life. That's the future reality that you desire and wait for. That's your view of the future good life. So that is your hope, right? Your hope may be that you find that perfect husband with the chiseled chin. He's athletic. He's got, you know, all of the good traits, none of the bad ones. And you marry him, and you have all these kids, and they're gorgeous, they're models, and all this stuff. And, like, you ride off into the sunset, and, like, that's what you wait for. That's what you long for. That's your hope, right? So whatever you're looking forward to, and you're waiting for, you're eager to do it, that's your hope. So whatever your view of the good life is, that's your hope. Now, this is very important. Hope is very important as we look to our next definition of faith, because faith is directly tied to our hope. Look, this is one of the biggest things. Faith is directly tied to your hope. We cannot have faith without hope. So hope is the future reality for which we wait. Now let's look at faith. Uh, One of the first memory verses I ever had was Hebrews 11.1, Miss Liebner's class in third grade. 
Um, also the grade where, unbeknownst to me, I would meet my wife and pee my pants and in class and rip my pants. So it was a big year for me. Big year for me. But um, this was the first memory verse. Now, faith is the assurance of what is hoped for. It's the substance of what is hoped for. It's the confidence of what is hoped for. But this, I think I have it here. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So in other words, faith gives your hope substance. Faith takes your hope, which in the, it's in the future, and it brings it into the present. So the future reality that you wish for and that you long for, faith takes that, transforms it into how you live today. So the, the most profound way to see this is that the same word that the writer of Hebrews uses for assurance or substance or confidence is the same word that he uses in Hebrews 1 to talk about how Jesus is the substance of God, the exact imprint of God. So in the way that Jesus is the incarnation, the substance of the Father, our faith is the substance, incarnation, assurance, confidence of our hope. So it takes what's future, it takes that vision of the good life that we have, our hope, and it brings it into the present. So let's, let's get really practical about this. So say you have a hope that you will pass your exam. Faith means you will study. Not simply just, yeah, Taylor. Let's have a, Taylor, Taylor, Taylor. You got to study, bro. Oh, I Um, But yeah, so that's what it means to live by faith. If you have hope that you will pass the exam, faith means you'll study for it. If you have hope that you are going to be the next LeBron James, that means you are going to practice like LeBron James is going to practice. Okay? Faith, faith means you're going to act on your hope. You're going to bring it into the present. Okay? So faith is the flesh of our hope, the incarnation of our hope. It's in preparing. So this is, this is kind of weird for us. So faith is the substance of the future reality for which we wait. And we'll get more into that. But a lot of times when we talk about faith, we just talk about belief, right? We use faith as a synonym for, I believe that. Or even though there's not a lot of evidence for that, I believe that. Or even though it's difficult to believe, I believe that. That's how we talk about faith. But we'll talk more tomorrow morning about how faith is so much more. It's about a way of life. It's about how you're taking your vision of what the gospel gives you in the future and brings it into the present today. So you live like you're supposed to live. So faith is the substance of the future reality for which we wait. So now you see faith and hope are related, right? You cannot have faith without hope. You cannot have hope without faith. So how is love related to all of this? How is love related to all of this? There's possibly no word in the English language that is more misused or misunderstood than the word love. I can honestly say I love my wife in one sentence, and then I can say I love sushi, and uh, mean totally, hopefully, mean two different things, right? I love my wife different than I love sushi. I uh, hope so. Right? So we, there's, there's a lot that we have to work through in the word love. Right? We can, we can really use the same word 
but, but use it and mean different things. So scripture also uses love in a variety of ways. Uh, we are told to love God, love others. There is love that exists between friends, the love that exists between brothers and sisters, love that exists between a husband and wife and marriage. And scripture says that God is love. And that love is the sum of the law. That if you want to please God, you just have to love. So we, we have to really unpack what this word means because it's very important. But the only thing I want to show tonight before we look specifically at love tomorrow is how it's related to faith and hope. And there's a key verse here, Galatians 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. In other words, that was a Jewish custom that was mount, uh, uh, the outward appearance determined their righteousness. Paul's saying, no, it's not simply about what you do on the outside, but it's only, well, only what matters is faith working through love. Now notice, how is love related to faith? Love is related to faith in that faith works through love. Okay, so faith works through love. There's obviously some sort of relationship there. There's some sort of relationship between faith and love in that if you want to live out your faith, you love And if faith is related to love, then it's related to hope. Again, just showing that these three are intertwined. And this is the practical point. You cannot love if you do not have the right faith and hope. You cannot have the right hope without putting it into practice through faith and loving in the way you were supposed to. You have to engage in this in in all three things. We have to see all of them in light. So Paul says that love is how faith works. Faith works through it. So we we can define love as the means by which we work out our faith in the, in the general sense. When we live by faith, it will be expressed through love. So understanding that hope is the future reality for which we wait, and faith is the substance of that future out reality, then it follows that love is how we live out the substance of our desired future reality. Okay, we're just, we're just working through this one step at a time. So love is how we live out the substance of our desired future reality. Faith is how we live out hope, and love is how we live out our faith. Now, again, this is really abstract, right? It's like, okay, Taylor, I know all that. So what? So we're working through this kind of confusing thing, and we need to bring it down to the ground, okay? And what, what needs to happen to do that, to accomplish this, is to place it all within the story of the gospel. We need to understand hope, faith, and love in terms of the gospel, in the story of Christianity. So we have to ask, what what is the gospel? You guys may have heard this before, but what is the gospel? What is the good news that Christianity proclaims? Jesus summarized it this way. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. When Jesus first entered the scene in Mark's gospel, he said, behold, this is the good news. This is the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean? The kingdom of God is at hand. It means the reign and rule of God, his lordship, his kingship is being unleashed through Jesus. And that's the good news. 
The good news is that Jesus is here and Jesus is king. That is the good news that Jesus said is happening when he came. So the reign of rule and rule of God is basically being unleashed through Jesus. And we know that's primarily going to happen through his perfect life, his death on a cross, and his resurrection. And he also institutes a new covenant where he takes our heart of stone, our inability to obey God and follow after him, and he gives us his spirit. This is the good news. Jesus, who is God himself, the promised Messiah, has come to restore the world, reconcile sinful people to himself by paying the penalty for their sin and then giving us his righteousness so that as he does that, he gives us his spirit and we can be made new to live like Jesus. So in the beginning, God created a good creation. It was perfect, exactly how he wanted it. And yet, there was this thing called the fall where man and woman sought to define good and evil on their own terms, apart from their relationship from God. And their design, being made in the image of God, was polluted. It was damaged. So now their ability to image God, who is perfect and righteous and holy, is damaged because of sin. Their ability to glorify God in the way they ought to is is messed up. So what God does right at that moment is he promises that he's going to restore the image of God in man. He's going to do that through himself, by sending himself to crush the serpent's head, which is Satan and evil and death. But he also promises to do that through the person of Abraham and his family. So God calls out this guy named Abraham. He makes him into a great nation of Israel. He blesses them. And he tells Abraham that what he wants is for, for him to be a blessing to all nations. He's going to bless Abraham and his family so that he can bless all people. Yet, Abraham and his family are just as screwed up as everybody else. They continually fail. They continually mess up. And God says, okay, fine. I'm going to do this myself. But through your seed, Abraham, through the seed of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David, he's going to send a king, a prophet, a priest to deal ultimately with the problem of sin in our world. But the only one who could do that was himself. So in the fullness of time, what scripture calls, God sends himself in the form of a man. And this man is named Jesus. Jesus lives a perfect life. He lives a spotless life. He has no sin, no blame that can be cast upon him. He goes around doing healings and wonderful works, and people are amazed by him. They're following him. And yet, the religious rulers of that day want to execute him because he's stirring up and doing things in ways that they don't think should be done in regards to God's law and things like that. So Jesus gets executed. Here's the thing, though. Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed to be the one who God promised to send. And he, he proved that, not only by his perfect life, but that when he was executed, three days later he was raised from the dead. Grave couldn't hold him. Death could not stop Jesus. And God the Father was showing that this was the man he proved to be. He was God. In that, Jesus is restoring in you the ability to follow him. 
Because by dying, he had no penalty to pay. He was paying your penalty and my penalty. He had no sin to pay for. He only had our sin to pay for. And then when he was raised to life, he, he took that account, he took that wretchedness on himself and gave us his perfect record. He said, your failing report card is replaced with my A+. As the judge, you are pronounced not guilty, although you are guilty. So Jesus gave us a perfect record. And he set in motion this pattern of resurrection in people. That though you're dead in sin, God can raise you to life. And he does that by giving you the gift of righteousness through Jesus and the Holy Spirit to live inside you, to actually dwell inside you and lead you along to live more and more like Jesus, who is the image of God, so that you can glorify him. This is the story of Christianity. The story of Christianity is not, it is not about you um, downloading some beliefs about Jesus and God so that you can go to heaven. This isn't about you. This story is not about you getting to, to spend eternal bliss in some weird place where there's flying babies and stuff. This is not the story of Christianity. It's not about you getting to go and have pleasures forevermore. This is a story about God rescuing, redeeming, and restoring his creation for his glory. And listen, that restoration, that healing, that resurrection, he begins it in us. He begins it in our hearts through Jesus. This is what the Christian life is all about. It's about you seeing and, and seeing what Christ has done for you, leaning into him, having faith, so that through you, he, he does the same thing. He brings you newness of life. And in that, he gets the glory. So this is the story of Christianity. Jesus has come to restore the world by reconciling sinful people to himself. Reconciling is like bringing back into relationship through his atoning sacrifice and resurrection, giving us his spirit to live for the glory of God. So what's our gospel hope? As we look um, in scripture, our hope, the future reality for which we wait, is the full renewal of creation under the lordship of Jesus for the glory of God. The future reality that you should hope for and long for and wait for with eager expectation is the fact that all of creation will be renewed under the lordship of Jesus. The brokenness you feel, the loneliness you feel, the struggle with sin, the addiction you can't break, the messed up relationships you see in your life, all that's going to be restored and made new through the gospel. That's our hope. Our hope is not simply we get to go and live in this cool society called heaven or something. It's the fact that God's going to transform all the brokenness you see into something that glorifies him. Listen, heaven isn't our home. There's nothing in, in scripture that talks about us going to heaven. God's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. So our home, our, what we're looking forward to is a whole new restored earth under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We're going to live on the new earth that's restored in, in the promise of Jesus. So we're, we're not simply looking to escape this world. We're looking to transform this world through the lordship of Jesus. That's our hope. So what does that mean? How does that happen? So what does that say about our faith? Our faith, then, is that we live in a process 
of being made to be more and more like Jesus. Because that whole renewal of creation and restoration of creation, all things being made new, it begins with our own hearts and our own lives. And the way we're made new is by by becoming more and more like Jesus. So that's the faith that we talk about. It's this process, this transformation that needs to take place in our lives of being made more and more like Jesus. And what is gospel love? Well, we know love, not that and we love God, but God loved us first. So we look to God as the standard of love. And as we see the life of Jesus, as we see the, the love that God had for us, we see that we are to sacrificially pursue the well-being of others just as Jesus did. If we want to understand how to love as Christians, we need to sacrificially pursue the well-being of others as Jesus did. This is the story that we are a part of if we call ourselves Christians. If we are Christians, our life will be defined by a hope that looks forward to the full transformation of this world and ourselves for the, for the glory of God. Is that your hope? Is your hope that you see this world transformed for the glory of God? Or is your hope that you simply just have a comfortable, easy life? You make some money. You have a nice family. Is that your hope? As a Christian, you're called to a way higher hope than that. A more awesome story than the one you're trying to live. And are you trying to live that hope today? If your hope is in the full restoration of creation, all, tra- all being transformed for Jesus and by Jesus for the glory of God, then what are you doing today to live that out? If you have faith that God will make everything new, how are you bringing newness to wherever you are? How are you transforming your family, your school, your community, your city? How are you bringing the lordship of Jesus to where you're at? Because that's what it looks like to live as a Christian. And lastly, are you, are you someone who loves? Are you pursuing the well-being of others? And are you doing that as Jesus did? Listen, pursuing the well-being of others means that we seek what's most important. And we'll talk about this tomorrow night. But what's most important in this life is not simply that people behave. It's not simply that we see less and less shootings in schools although that'd be good. It's not so that we can see less and less abortions in our city, although that'd be good. It's not so that we can see marriage valued, although that'd be good. The most important thing is that Jesus Christ is the Lord of people's hearts. And that's what we should be pursuing when we love people. Do you seek for Jesus to be the Lord of people's lives? Here's the first thing. That has to begin in your heart. That has to begin in your heart. In order for you to seek to love others well, to to live with the right hope and the right faith, it has to begin in your own life. See, Jesus set in motion something by experiencing it himself. He experienced resurrection so that we can experience resurrection. You need to experience resurrection in your life so that others can experience resurrection. So guys, I'm not going to play any games here. If this is something that you have not done, if this is something that has not happened to your heart, if this is not the story that you want to live, then it needs to begin tonight. It needs to begin tonight. I'm not looking for anything dramatic. I'm not looking for anything where you make a show 
You can do this in the quietness of your own heart and talk about it in small groups later. But that needs to happen tonight. If you haven't experienced the resurrection that you can experience in the gospel, that needs to happen tonight. So seeing that God will ultimately make all things new through Jesus for his glory. That's the end game. We know the end game. We seek to become more and more like Jesus by sacrificially pursuing the well-being of others as Jesus did. That's our story. That's who a Christian is. Faith, hope, and love. We see those three things there. So that's what we're going to talk about this week. How can we make our lives reflect that? How can we live our lives in such a way that that's our story? Guys, I'm not there. I don't stand up here preaching down at you. I stand up here as a, as a fellow Christian struggling with you. I want to see us as a community live out this story and be defined by this story. Guys, life's way too short. Life is way too short to be just coming here, playing games, listening to sermons, getting through it so you can go and play dodgeball after. Like, life's just way too short. So make sure this is your story.